Well, why don't we uh, go ahead and stand to our feet and turn to Proverbs chapter five? I mean, Proverbs chapter three, verses five through nine. We're still in that in our worship series. As you turn there, uh, I am going to be gone during the month of August for vacation, and so we want to make sure we got uh, our elders and church plant residents going to be preaching this month, and it's going to be a phenomenal time as they're ministering to the body. So make sure you don't check out, but check in. Don't come to support. Come to get ministered to. Amen, somebody. Amen. Amen. And so, um, but I need to take some time off and a a little something, something. Then I'll be back in September excited to be able to uh, finish up what we're doing. We're finishing up our worship series here. I'll I'll do one more message in September on No Limit. Uh, God no limit, and then we'll go into our series on First Corinthians, line by line, and precept upon precept. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive in. I'll start in on verse 5, and then you guys finish all the way to verse 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path, straight your paths. Mm-hmm. So we're continuing in our series in this second installment in this part of the series on faith, generosity, and gratitude. Faith, let me hear y'all say that, faith, faith. Generosity, generosity, and gratitude. And gratitude. Amen, amen. Let's, let's bless the Lord together. Father, we thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together as the saints of God through Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I pray that you would build us up in our most holy faith uh, through developing our spirit to be able to be expressive givers uh, uh, and, and expressing our gratitude by walking and expressing our walk with you by faith, Lord God. And in order for this to connect with people, these are one of those sermons, you know, it's like, the, you know, those sermons where there, there, there are not many amens and responses. It's usually on prayer, on getting in your Bible, and how you're doing in your uh, marriage. And then the last one is usually when we talk about resources. And so, God, I just pray today that you would, you would rapture our souls into an obedient reality of expressing our gratitude by being generous to you by faith. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If, you were, if you've been trekking with us through our series, um, I always try to give a recap. If you've been trekking with us, um, through the series, you, you know that we started off um, working through um, this series and diving into the idea of, of walking through identity, uh, the identity of the worshiper, that worship is not what you do first, it's who you are first. Every person is a worshiper. The question is, who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And where are you worshiping? But what makes us distinct is nobody's born a worshiper of God through Jesus Christ. God has to save you. Amen, somebody. And so once, once you trust Jesus Christ as Savior by grace alone, through faith alone, through? Oh, I'm going to make sure you're here. Through grace alone, through faith alone, through? Okay. And once that happens, you are now identified uniquely as a worshiper of God through Jesus Christ. And from, 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 uh, however, while you're operating in your identity, you have to functionally walk in your identity. And that's the lifestyle of worship. 
in which God calls us through John 15 to be fruit bearers. We are to bear fruit, bear more fruit, and much fruit. It says, by this Jesus said, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That means the more you reflect the fact that you look like Jesus, God, God loves being flossed and shown off. And so that, that's, that's the idea, if you will, of, of, of lifestyle. But not only identity and lifestyle, at the same time, there has to be a sense of expression. There are, there are outlets, if you will, that God calls us to express uh, our uh, our sense of uh, excitement about having been identified with him and having a lifestyle that's in concert with the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. And so we talked about <coughs> expressive worship, and we talked about the worship gathering of the saints because we knew that worship is, shouldn't be reduced to the gatherings of the saints, but it should include the gathering of the saints. And so we talked about how every now and then you need to say something to the Lord every now and then. Uh, y'all quiet on me, but that's okay. Um, every now and then you should lift a, a, a pinky or something to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, every now and then something in your life should be an expression of the gratitude of the fact that you're in a relationship with him. But now we've come into this section where we're talking about faith, gratitude, and generosity because I think, because, because I really want us, by God's grace, to take back bad, uh, uh, bad experiences because the two, when you plant a church, there are two types of people that join a church, become a part of a church plant. There are people that have, uh, ha- have a perceived, a perception of church, but bad experiences with church. A perception of church and a bad experiences of church. And usually the people with perception are the ones that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, and they get saved and come into the church, and they, and they, and they, and they begin to have expectations that, that may be skewed of center. And one of the things that have been a challenge for us to talk about from the beginning of the ministry has been giving. Somebody say giving. Yeah. I'm going to say it one more time because y'all didn't like the, that word. I'm going to say it one more time. The giving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, of, one of the things that, that, that I am embarrassed about a, a, as a pastor here is, is the fact that we didn't take enough time in working on giving. Because when we first started the church, we started with a bunch of people who were angry at the church, which people are still here. And some of you, if I, I, we probed you just about two or three seconds, amen, got some anger issues, right? And, 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 so, and so with all of that in mind, as we work through and deal through all of that, one of the things that God, even in our covenant, it was interesting that I read that today, and, and it said we promised to preach the whole counsel of God. And, as, and, and, and in dealing with the whole counsel of God, we have to preach on everything that God says. Because Jesus Christ says, before heaven and earth will pass away, before one jot or, or the smallest of the stroke uh, will pass away. And so, the, so that means God wrote everything to be said. He said the word of God is, 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 is theopnutos, is God breathed every, it, about God. And, and it's profitable for doctrine, right, or training in righteousness. So when you skip one word in the Bible, you don't experience all the training in righteousness that you can get from the living God. And so we didn't train people in the, in the area of righteousness, in the area of giving because of TV ministry and manipulation of preachers. And we got to the point where we even had a skewed and other in understanding of giving where we didn't talk about it much. But it's interesting when we come to the book of Proverbs. Remember I told you last time that, that Proverbs chapter 1 uh, is the foundation for the book of Proverbs, particularly verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But then you go to Proverbs 31, even though it's talking about a, a, a woman, it's really personifying wisdom at its best as a woman. So that's a climax. So we got fi- foundation 
and climax. But then right here in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, I believe we have the foundation of Proverbs. The, uh, not the foundation, but, but what I would call the subject purpose statement of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We, we learned last time that Hebraically, acknowledge him in all your ways is really to know him in every area of your life. That means you were saved to have a relationship with God. Therefore, you must know him in every area of your life. In all your ways, it can literally be translated, know him. Whether you're at home, know him. Whether you're on the job, know him. Whether you're in the corner store, know him. Whether you're at the buffet, know him. I'm gonna get somebody missed that right there. Um, well, in, in whatever area of your life that you're in, you must act like, in other words, one translator said, act like you know him. I like that. Act, you know, my mama used to always say when I was out acting a fool, act like you got some home training. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that. When your mama snatched you aside, you ever got jerked by your mom and that jerk, it feel like you, your brain moved when she jerked you. You know what I'm saying? And she bring you in close and she, and she do that little whisper thing. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Some of y'all ain't getting no whoopings. But um, that, that, that was the pre-whooping talk. You know what I'm saying? Act like you got some home training, right? You know what I'm saying? That's the pre-whooping. You knew when she yanked you in, the next thing was she would beat you in front of everybody. Amen. And so, and so, and so the Bible talks about, uh, you know, act like you know God. But then it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him or know him. And he will un, not, not just unbend your past, but literally it means to unbend you. You, 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 the road is already laid out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works beforehand that we should walk in them. So the road is already laid out, but the issue is we need to be laid out. Somebody ought to hear me right there. In, 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 other, in other words, way in that passage means behavior, not the road itself, euphemistically. And so God is working through Christ sanctifying us to unbend us. But it's interesting that in this context that, 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 that many times we don't recognize that even though Proverbs seems to be a bunch of individualistic pithy phrases, it really together they comprise different contexts to talk about what it looks like to live out walking with God in different areas of life. So most of us stop at verse 6, but we don't go to verses 7 through 10. Because verses 7 through 10 is going to show you what it looks like in two major areas of your life to trust in the Lord with all your heart, to know him in all your ways, and to walk an unbent life. It's going to show you two ways where Christ, where God strengthens you to be able to live an unbent life. And so we come to our next section. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. I like that. I wish I could just spend the whole sermon on that. <laughs> Be not, but then we, the sermon will go on again, and you know how that works. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I like the fact that it tells you an application of trusting in the Lord with all your heart is not knowing everything. See, to walk with God, you got to admit you don't know nothing. Y'all not with me. Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus said, that his, he said when the children were coming to him and they were coming and, 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 you know, they were trying to push the kids away. He said, unless you come like these, you can't even come into the kingdom. In other, in other words, I, I'm sick of folk knowing too much. And, and let me tell you something. Anybody that's close enough to me to, to smell anything in my vicinity about me knows that I, I, I struggle with a lack of teachability. In, in, in other words, when nobody can't tell you nothing. You done figured everything out, and you know. That's what the Bible says. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Now, what is wise? Wise is not just knowledge. 
Because you can be knowledgeable but not be wise. I wish I had some help right there. So wisdom here means the application of what you know. Now, just because you know the right information about God or something doesn't mean you have the appropriate application about it. So he's saying, basically, don't apply God's knowledge based on your own understanding by yourself. In other words, you weren't meant to be an island by yourself. In, 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 other, in other words, you have to be wise outside of yourself. And, and so he said, do not be wise in your own eyes. My 11-year-old son thinks he know everything. Everything in the world, he know, if, he, if, if he talk about it, he's an expert on that thing. He's a very, very smart little boy, but he's so smart that he thinks he knows everything. You know, I remember I was in that season where I thought I knew everything. Everybody has to kind of go through that season where you think you know every single thing. Can't nobody tell The teachers don't know nothing. The, um, you know, the family don't know nothing. You know, mama don't know nothing. They've been here 50, 60 years long. You know, you don't know nothing. You know, people that know, the church don't know. Nobody knows nothing except for you. In other words, really people that aren't teachable really are building around themselves the, the, a fortress of not wanting to bend their desires towards where God wants them to go because many times you already figured out what you want to do. And so, and, and the worst thing is when you snatch a verse and you just, you, you, I, see, that's the ones you got to be scared of. See I, see, I, I, see, I can deal with the person that ain't got no Bible, and it's just, it's see, see there, are four, there are three types of fools in Proverbs. There's three types of fools in Proverbs. I'm trying to move to the giving part, but there's, there's, there's three types of fools. But, but the, 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 there's a bunch of them. There's a community of fools in Proverbs and a community of wise. There's only one type of wise person, but there are a bunch of different types of fools. And one of those fools is called a Nabal. In the lexicon, he's called a stupid fool. Now, 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 he's the fool's fool. Like, you know, you meet a man's man, a woman's woman, a, uh, you, know, you know, the person that personifies with all of those people in that community look up to, like a man's man. That's a man's man. I want to be like him. The fool's fool is the fool that every fool wants to be like. Okay? That, that's, the, that's, that's the Nabal. The Nabal. He said, don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, a Nabal is the stupid fool that creates a construct. That, but see, I can actually deal with the Nabal because the Nabal doesn't know the word, so we can help him with that. But the person that's scary to me is the, per the person that knows just enough Bible to be dangerous. Just, I mean, just enough Bible to be dangerous, and all of the application is, is, is inappropriate. That's why it says don't be wise in your own eyes. Why? Because you can't think on your own in the sense of this, where God has created a community to process stuff with. Wish I had time to talk about it. But he says, don't be wise in, I'm trying to get off that, but he, but he said, don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't think you're skillful at living out God's truth by yourself. That, that's why you need some community. That's why one of my core values is community. See, y'all got quiet right there. Uh, uh, because because, because this, this way, it's not cultic to ask advice. In abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, you can keep, now this, this is what baffles me. See, this person he's just talking about here, nobody in particular, this person here, because I, I know we don't have that type of person at Epiphany Fellowship, because none of us are wise in our own eyes. But this person that the Bible's talking about right here, where Solomon is discipling his kids, they're, they're an interesting group of people because they always, they ask advice with their own understanding already in their mind of what they want to do. They really don't want advice, they just want affirmation. 
yeah, yeah, I'm getting the generosity and faith and all that, but this is, I just got to build a foundation for that. And so, and, so, and so biblically, and so biblically, the Bible says you're not, you're, you're not trusting in the Lord with all your heart if you live life on an island. So, and so what happens is if you're wise in your own eyes, guess what you're doing? Leaning to your own understanding. That's in the text. Leaning on your own understanding is trusting only what you can come up with. See, if you only trust what you could come up with, you know, you know, I, that's why, that's why, I, you know, I used to get, remember my wife when we was going through peer model counseling, I was mad at all of our mentors. I, I, you know, I was, I was, I mean, I was hot with them because they were pulling all kinds of stuff out. I said, you need to get on her more. <laughs> like, let's work this thing out where the thing shifts to her and deal with her stuff. Don't deal with my stuff. Deal with her stuff because I think I'm okay, right? That's what the Bible says, don't be wise in your own eyes, right? They said, this brother ain't going to know what he's doing. So they put us through six months of premarital counseling. The devil is a liar on steroids. <laughs> you got to understand, I'd been walking with Jesus for a while, and I'd been out there and been brought in. So I was looking for my season to begin, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I had some gray-haired folk to put their wingtips in my behind. I see, I ain't, I ain't had no Jordans. See, if you got Jordans, they're wearing Jordans and they're trying to mentor you, that ain't a mentor, all right? <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you right now. I'll tell you right now. You got to have some wingtip-wearing mentors, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? They, they, they don't put their clothes on all the time right, you know what I'm saying? You, you need a mentor to wear depends every now and then. You need, I'm just trying to tell you something. Y'all missing out on what I'm talking about. But, 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 you, but you need somebody that'll get in your Google Ezekiel. I don't know what that is, but it sounded good when I said it. And so when you lead to your own understanding, you actually create idols. And you create ways to exist so that you can maintain your life on your own terms. Therefore, that's why I talked about last week, functional saviors. Because if you're not trusting in the Lord, you got to be trusting in something else. Because your normal propensity as a worshiper, if you're not, everybody is a worshiper. Every, unbelievers are worshipers. When, when you say, Jay is my idol, you know, Drake is my, whoever your idol is, Cindy Poitier, whoever, who's your, you're, you're basically saying, because my life is into that, I exalt the greatest person that I believe that I want to be like this into that thing. But that can be a person, a place, or thing. And what we do when we create functional saviors in our life is we create things that we think save us to do what we want to do. See, being wise in your own eyes means save me to do what, we, what I want to do. That's the devil. The devil wants to keep you from Christ to do what he wants you to do. So he's okay with you living under the delusion that you're God. Not being wise in your own eyes, that is a renouncement of the fact that you're God and an embracing of trusting in him with, your own, with, with everything instead of trusting in yourself. And so I like the, oh, the way Jerry Bridges, I want to say this again, what he said. He said, sometimes we look to other things to satisfy and fulfill us, to save us. These functional saviors can be any object or dependence we embrace that isn't God. That be, that be, they become the source of our identity. You hear that? Security and significance. Why? Because we hold an idolatrous affection for them in our hearts. 
They preoccupy our minds and consume our time. So whatever we wherever we direct our affections, energies, and hopes towards is the object of our worship. And so, and so the fight for all of us is all of us got areas of our life where we don't want anybody to mentor us in. And so that means that we, as a worshiper, you're, you're in a consistent process of denouncing yourself. If you don't hear nothing else I say today, you better write. It wasn't no amens on that, but the God said something right there. We're in a process of being mentored out of our own understanding. That's what it means to be a disciple, is the Spirit of God discipling you out of you thinking you know everything. Now, now some of y'all looking at me funny because you don't think you're there, but I guarantee if you do a survey of your life, you got some areas of your life like that. But he said, I got I to gotta move from that. We can talk for another 15 minutes on that. All right. So, 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 so be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think you're skillful at living in light of God's truth in your own eyes. He says, but fear the Lord. And this is good. Because fear the Lord, this idiomatic expression, comes up a multiplicity of times throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs 1, our foundational book, in verse 7 of chapter 1, says the, that, that, that the beginning of fear, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of knowledge. Now, one of the Psalms will say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, if you're going to know anything, and if you're going to skillfully do anything, you got to connect to the one that created everything. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, does it mean to run in terror, ah, run down the street? That I don't, that, 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 that's an expression of this, but here it means to stand in awe of the reality of who God is. Stand in awe of him. That means God has to rock you. If God doesn't rock you, you're not going to follow him. That, that means that God, like, there got to be some moments in your life where God rocks your world. Like, we'll go, well, that's why God, God loves to put you in circumstances to where you see nobody but him, and you couldn't see no way out of it but him, and when he shows up and bring you out of it, you're like, dang, that was crazy. If it had not been for God, I don't know where I'd be. If I look back where I was, look at, look at, man, I'm looking back down the corridors of my life. I don't, boy, if it, boy, I remember right there. That's why you need to write some stuff down when God do something for you. Because when you get in that, because you're going to always be in a place where you're tempted to forget who he is. So you write it down so that you can remember, because you can remember what the word says. You also have to remember how God wisely brought you out of stuff. So when that happens, it reintroduces you to standing in awe of him. Standing in awe of him means I'm rocked by you, God. That's why we worship, because we try to, we, we are sacrificially announcing to ourselves that we're rocked by God, even though we don't feel like it. And so when he says, when he says, when he says, a, a, a fear of the Lord, he, he, number one means stand in all the reality of God. Number two, it means to trust in the Lord. To trust him. These are just basic Christian principles. To trust him. <laughs> that, that means you, you lean on him for whatever it is that, that for, for everything in your life, you're leaning in on him. That, that means the whole of your life has to be a leaning tower of Pisa. The whole of your life is leaning over as a big old crazy looking structure and you don't lean all the way over because something down un inside of you is keeping you held up. I wish I had some help right there. And so that's what standing in all the reality of God is. I don't know how I'm making it, but because of God. 
So that's what the fear of God is. So it also is recognition that you don't know everything. Standing in awe of God is saying, I don't know everything. If every now and then you can say, see, see, people that, see, that's, that's why I talk about apologetic guys all the time. You know, I talk to some guys, and they, they know everything about every little theological question. I said, I, I, and I say, and I'll be standing there while they're arguing with somebody. And I'm like, Doc, I don't know if you know that. I said, you're talking where the Bible is silent. Where the Bible is silent, you should be too. Listen, if you're in a debate with somebody, it doesn't make you stronger by talking where God hasn't talked. Because when you start to talk where God hasn't talked, you have no power anymore. Because you're leaning on your own understanding and God will leave your butt out there by yourself. But, it, but the goodness of God is in you saying, I don't know. Let me find out. But, but, but if you don't know, shut your mouth. That's in every area of our life. If you, what you going to do next? I don't know. What you going to do in five years? I want to learn. I don't know. How were you? I remember when you planting a church. They's like, how y'all going to get older people in the church? I could have said it straight. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to network through the families of the people in the church, and we're going to network through their families and get some gray-haired people and meet some people in that. I said, I don't know. I said, we just got it in the vision statement that we're going to. Like, they said, how are you going to make it multi-ethnic because it was all black folk here? I said, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I just know they got. Well, you don't have a strategy for everything. I said, now, it's not that I don't have a strategy to get it. I know the sh- visionary who can get it for me. And so I learned how to not talk a whole bunch of smack, but go to the one who can get it done. And I know that, now I'm not saying don't plan. Somebody gonna walk away from me and say, pastor said don't plan, so I don't know. You know, what you, what you want? You know, gonna meet somebody, don't, brothers don't go meet somebody father and you say, what's your plans for my daughter? Say, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't know, you need to get out the relationship. That's, that's an application of knowledge right there. Be not wise in your own eyes. Leave, all right? There you go. But then it says, turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. (laughs) And so it says, don't think you know everything and turn away from evil, meaning a lifestyle of repentance. One of the things about being a worshiper, all of this is building a foundation. It's crazy. (laughs) Um, um, uh, um, One of the things about being a believer in Jesus Christ is you're, you're going to repent of sin. That's why he says, turn away from evil. That means those who trust in the Lord turn away from evil. It means to do a 180, not a, one, not a 360. If you do a 360, you're going in the same direction. You turn, but not away. You turn around and to. Now, if you turn around and to, you're still going the same direction. But if you make a 180, that's why Jesus' first message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Turn away from the way you think things should be and embrace my way. That's every area of your life as a worshiper. Your life as a worshiper under Jesus Christ is turning away from your faulty value system and turning towards his phenomenal value system. And so it says, turn away from evil. Then it says, and then it gives, what I like about the Lord is he never takes anything away without replacing it with something else. Now look at what it says right here. This is a simple Bible preaching. He says, it will be healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's using a euphemistic statement of, of using figurative language to talk about making good decisions with your body that refreshes you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, um, I don't know if you've seen them old Gatorade commercials, right? And you know, and the player come on, to f- come back over, and he drink the Gatorade, and it show an inside of his body, and the Gatorade go down, and it, y'all, I'm old, man. Um, anyway, it, it do something to your body, 
and it, and it just refreshes you all over again, and then they're able to go back out on the field. It, 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 but but the, the idea of refresh means to give a sense of consistent newness <clears throat> but when you fear the Lord, but also it's basically saying that when you follow the Lord, you can live under joy. Now, what does joy mean? Joy is unending satisfaction with God no matter what. Let me say that one more time. Joy is unending satisfaction no matter what. So that means that your joy can't be taken. Wish I had time to just teach this part. But joy is already given to the believer as salvation. You just either shelve it or use it. So you're not asking God, give me joy. You got the spirit of God, so you got joy. The question is, is using it. Now, when we don't walk in obedience to trusting the Lord in our life, when, we tr- when you trust yourself, you only get the joy that you can give to yourself. But when you trust in the Lord, you can only get the joy that he can give, which that's called fullness of joy. That means you can be walking in a hailstorm. And be in joy because joy isn't about circumstances, it's about a savior. And so he's given you a found, this is foundational worshipful wisdom that helps the worshiper to recognize the whole of their life is positioned and based and laid out in the fullness of being in a relationship with God. So that's the faith section of this thing. Now let's go to the gratitude and the giving section. So now you got all of that right there. Check it out with the next verses. Because usually when we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, uh, you know, in VBS we usually, we usually learn Three verses, three, three or four verses. We learn John 3.16, going to learn that one. Um, you're going to learn like Psalm 119, 9 or 11 or something like that. I've hidden the word not hard that I might not sin against it. Then you might learn, I will trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not into my own understanding. In all my ways acknowledge him and he will direct my path. But then we don't read what it looks like. Now when you go down a little further, it says, if you're going to trust the Lord with all your heart, honor the Lord with your wealth. That means everything that God gives, it is his. That means honor the Lord with all of it. Now, some of y'all say, well, this, this verse don't apply to me. There's a key word in here that makes you understand that this don't apply to me. It said honor the Lord with your wealth. Aha, God, I ain't wealthy. Right? <laughs> you say, that, that's just, that just cuts me off of application. That's why I'm on my grizzly, so I can, you know, get my, you know how we do. But, um, but not every person that has a resource is wealthy. Wealth is the possession, not amount here. Wealth is the possession itself. So it means the whole of everything you have, honor the Lord with. Now, the word here for, for, for honor is a word that is connected with the word for kabod, which means glory. And glory means the weight of God, the heaviness of his value. So here, euphemistically, the word honor means uh, this. Uh, giving someone something or someplace a distinguished reputation in your life. That means when you honor the Lord, you're going to give him a distinguished place in your life that's different than all the other common relationships. That means that whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you got a a mom or dad, whoever, it doesn't matter. He's going to have a distinguished place among your possessions and among your relationships. It's a dude that had a bunch of cars, and he had one car that he washed like three times a week. 
And, and, and you'll be like, man, why are you washing the car? Why are you talking to him? The car's clean. He's, he's doing like this talking to you. And he's, I said, Doc, the car's clean. Why are you? He's like, man, I just love Betsy, man. Betsy, this is my baby, man. Um, I'm like, what is he wiping? But I said, why do you do that all the time? Because he said, Betsy is my prized possession. In other words, I like this car better than all the cars I have. And I give her a distinct place in my life because she's different than the other ones. And so I'm going to spend most of my time I, I like the other cars, but I love this one. See, when you have an honored relationship with God, you have a distinct God. Said, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless all of your relationships look like hate in relation to the intensity of the way that you love me. Whether mother, whether father, whether cousin, whether... He said, he said it, you must hate them to be my disciple. He's not talking about literal hate. He's saying your, the intensity of your love for me when it's applied to your love for them looks like hate in comparison because you love me more than anything. So when you honor the Lord with your wealth, that means whether you go to the check-passing place, place... Now, I know we got some check-passing place people in here. Don't judge nobody. They go down to the check, at least they cash in a check. Hallelujah. So don't hate, all right? Number two, we got some people that get direct deposit, right? You know, those are two different probably brackets of life, right? But no matter whether you go to the check placing, cash in place, or, you get, or, 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 or you, you're a business person, you pay yourself at the end of the year, or you get direct deposit on the 1st or the 15th, whatever your day is, you need to be thinking about the whole of your resources with Jesus in mind. And that, 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 means, that means that none of it belongs to you. God is letting you utilize some wood that was turned into sheets of paper that has the color green on it that is used as currency to honor his name. But really it was wood and ink that he created that man formed into a form of currency that God allows to be utilized to be connected with his heart versus your own heart. So when it says honor the Lord with your wealth, it means, uh, it means distinguishing every aspect of your resources in the way that you use them in relation to the living God. But, but he says honor the Lord with your wealth. Then, then, he says, then he says, and with the first fruits of your produce. First fruits <clears throat> could have been your first child, it could, it could be your, your, your produce that came up, and, 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 and it's not just the first of the produce, it's really the best of the produce of the batch. It's not just the first, because if, if you gave in the Old Testament defective produce, that wouldn't have been the, the, the best. And so the, the, the best that you're supposed to give off of is, is the ones that are either ripe or the most ripe or, or the best of the batch. Like if you got bananas, you know, you're not going to give them the ones that got the black lines all on them. You know what I'm saying? The, the stem about to come off because it's all mushy at the top. You'd be like, here, Lord, bless your name. You know what I'm saying? You don't get at it. You wouldn't eat that one. You know what I'm saying? You make some banana bread or something with it, but you wouldn't just eat it. It's mushy. Well, you would give him not a green one, but you would give him, yeah, you, you could give him one of them green. And then it's yellow down there, and it's, it don't taste greeny. You know, when you eat it and it's greeny, but it's, the, it's, it's, it's first banana love right there. That's, that's the, y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's, that's the ones you give to the Lord. Now, let's apply that to our resources because all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for doctrine. So that means that even though this is written under the Old Covenant, it, there's continuity because giving is mentioned in the New Testament. Now, when we look at this, we, that means that we must begin thinking in, in terms of our resources as being generous. And it flows from honor of the Lord. It doesn't flow from 
of people, come on now, come on now, I got $5 line right here, I got a $100 line over here, amen, praise God, and, and the first person, I, I, I sense in the, uh, uh, I sense in the spirit right now that about 55 people are going to give $1,000, and I want you to line up, I got a blessing for you, next week you're going to have a Lexus, two weeks from now you're going to have a house, nine people are going to have a job, if you come up right now and rush the altar and bring it to the man of God's feet, right now you'll have it, that's, that's, that's not what we're talking about. That's, the more, that's, that's called giving under compulsion. But we're talking about people, when we say it's time for giving, they're like, yeah! When we say it's time for giving, they're like, ah. Oh. And the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. When you, when, you, when, you, when you give the first fruits, that means the difference between Cain and Abel was key. It was faith and quality. Faith and quality. It's always about faith and quality. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, the last verse, anything done without faith is sin. Yeah. And, so, and so we as givers, we are supposed to, to build in the body of Christ a culture of generosity and giving of our best. Now, what I like about this is, and, and it, what, let me tell you the question I hate. Tell you the, one, I, I got top five questions. This, I don't know what number this is. This is my top five. I hate this question when I get it as a pastor. Pastor, should I give off the gross or the net? I am going to tell you right now, if I get that question one more time, I am going to turn into David Banner, the incredible hawk, and I am going to bust out of this tie, and I'm going to do one of them incredible hawk jumps into like Jersey. And then I'm going to jump back over, turn back into myself, and holler. I'm just, I, I mean, for me, I'm just like, hold on. Why are you asking whether or not I give off the gross of the net? See, the, the spirit of that question is, how little can I give the Lord? Now, the question I'll answer sometimes if I don't just walk away, with, and I just, if I turn red, black as I am, you know I'm, Hot. All right? But I'm just, I, I, I just ask this question. I'm just being honest. I say, do you give Uncle Sam off the gross of the net? Now, how much of, did God provide the gross of the net? Hold on, I'm just asking. Did he provide the gross or the net? So if it says honor the Lord with your wealth, is it talking about net Wealth or gross wealth? You answer that question. Help me, Holy Ghost, in tongues. And so I'm just trying to tell y'all right now. I'm just trying to tell y'all right now. Like, don't have a discipline, because you, you can't beat them at this. Let me tell you something. You can't beat them at giving. I, I, I got some stories I want to tell at the end. But, but hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just go here, and then I'm going to get out your way. It says, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Some of y'all going to run up here now because they say wine. But um, <clears throat> I'm giving, shoot. Uh, stop me a refinery today in Jesus' name. Um, but, but, but it's talking about, it's talking about the fact that God always returns resources and gives. Now, let's back up. Who's first fruits? Who's the greatest first fruit of all time? Jesus. God didn't give. He didn't say, my, hey, Gabriel, come here, man. I want you to die for these people. It wouldn't have sufficed. He could have said, Gabriel, come here. My Archangel Michael, 
You know what I'm saying? He could have took one of the he could have took one of the seraphim. No. He did not spare. He didn't have no more sons. None. The Holy Ghost is not the son of God. The angels is not the son of God. He took his only son and did not spare his only son for us. That's generous. He said, I'm not going to spend time with my son for a while. For 33 years, heaven's going to be absent of the second person of the Godhead. For 33 years, and he said, I'm going to give my son away. But what I like about God is not only does he reward us, but he reward himself. Because when Jesus got up from the grave, he bestowed upon him a name that's above every name. And then he sits at his right hand. So he even upgraded. I don't even know how that even works. How you, God said, I'm going to get a return on my own investment. I'm going to get my son back with a glorified body. Because he, he, he didn't have a body at first. So he got a son plus a fully, a, a, the, the type of body that he wanted us to live in light of when, before Adam sinned. He said, I'm going to just give myself back what I should have done in the first place. And, and Anyway, y'all, this whiz past you. He said, but, but he's going to be the first fruits of what everyone's going to look like in their body because they're going to take off immortality, put on immortality, and they are going to be first fruits of all creation. Why? Because I'm not going to redeem the other creation that got destroyed until I redeem my first fruit creation, burst on my first fruit son. So therefore, our giving should reflect God's first fruit giving as we give. It means God gave his best. His best. And that's what I love about it. Now, check this out. That's what's beautiful about being in Christ. So he says, I'm going to reward giving. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. So that means you, whenever we sow, that, 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 that's come, now let's, let's get sowing and reaping as curse. Let's get those as not being curse words anymore. I know the prosperity people, I want to take that back from the demonic usage of it. Okay, sowing and reaping are biblical principles of giving. Now, that means that you don't merely give to reap, but it is a motivation to reap. Why? Because Jesus says, do not build yourselves treasures where moths can eat them, but you build treasures that can be built up to eternal life, that have eternal benefit. So that means when you give, there are times when God will, you will reap now, and there's sometimes you'll reap later. How do I know? Jesus, the, the disciples said, look, Jesus, we're giving up a whole lot of stuff for this gospel thing. And he said, he said, he said, he said you know, he, Jesus said, I know, I know. He said, there's no one that has left mother, father, has done any of these things that will not only reap now, but will reap later. So, but, but we don't live for now, we live for later, and we trust God to bring the sowage or the reaping the way he wants to bring it. We don't demand that we're going to reap in a certain way. See, that's the problem. I can't prophesy to you how God's going to cause you to reap. God sovereignly decides what the reaping is going to look like and how much. Because his apportioning is his. Now, I'm just letting you know that you can't beat the king giving. I'm going to just tell you that. I'm going to get out of the way. But this church, it took $1.5 million over the years outside of internal giving that had to be raised outside of here by other churches giving $1.5 million to, you missed your shouting moment. Anyway, I'm going to keep moving. You, you, hold on. Who gives 1.5 million? It's people that gave money for this church to be planted that never seen it before. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm someone never, ever seen 
anything, never seen it before. The chairs you're sitting on that got donated three years ago was given by a congregation where 99% of them never seen this church before. But they believed that God, they, they wanted to worship the Lord with their wealth and honor him because they wanted to sow into it. And they weren't saying, God, I'm giving this money right now, and, 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 and I want you to bring my son home. Like, wow. Just pray for your son to come home. You ain't, you don't, giving doesn't make God, it's like, oh, God, help me. We got, that's so warped to me that you're paying God for healing. You're paying God for a breakthrough. Christ died for that. That's, so you ain't got to give money to get a breakthrough. That's called manipulation, Judaizing, demonic, compulsion. You pray for that, ask God for that. But give because God has been good. I remember, I'm closing. I remember, I remember when I was in seminary. I remember when I was in seminary, my wife and I just got married. I was working two jobs and uh, going to grad school, paying her way through and my way through out of the pocket. No loans, no nothing, Okay. And, um, and um, the Spirit of God spoke to me clearly as day from the Scriptures and, and, um, and began challenging me to raise money. I was like, God, I ain't looking like no bum. You know what I'm saying? Going all the people. I got a wife. And it was like God started closing doors where he was making me, because he's preparing me for something I didn't understand. So he's like, you're going to raise money. You're going to work, but you're going to raise this part so that to support you guys through school. I was like... So I'm reading the scripture, my wife, we're doing devotions, saying, listen, I just kind of laid it out to her, like a matter of fact, well, yeah, God wants us to raise support, and um, I guess we'll do this. And so, because um, I was like feeling non-manly and everything, and, um, and, um, and um, the, the Lord, the Lord, the wife was, wifey was like, I, I think I was sensing that too, but I was waiting for you to lead us in that. It's like, wow. And so then I perked up. I was like, Dad, she was waiting for me to leave. That made me feel a little more manly. See, that's what a woman do. That's a whole nother thing. That's what a woman, I mean, anyway, I, I ain't got, I, oh, Lord, help me. That's a good woman. Anyway, so, 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 so we, we, we kind of draft these letters and sent them out to all kinds of people to let them know what we're doing. And then, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, God, I, I, I remember, I remember I was a youth pastor making $500 a month. I remember that. And I remember, like, God, like, our rent is three, 325. Now, I know some of y'all are like, 325 for rent? Wow. But back then, I was tight as a mug. <laughs> and so, man, I'm like, man, how we, I mean, we're going to give, then we're going to do I said, you know what? We held hands and we prayed. I remember it like it was just there. Washington Street, Dallas, Texas, off of Gaston Street, right there uh, by the rent. Held hands, prayed, yes, boom. We gave. Minimum 10% sometimes, but we gave the Lord. It was never a time we didn't have food. It was never a time we didn't have clothing. And it didn't stop us from inviting people over and being generous to other people. I can remember, I can remember going to, going, taking a ministry job. I ain't going to say where I was taking it. And my wife and I was going to take this ministry job. And um, I remember I got to this spot, and it was in writing that I was supposed to have insurance. My wife is, needed a liver transplant, so she can't break coverage. So we get to this spot. I get there. They say, we don't have insurance for you. I had to move my family, right? So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I still got a little bit of that, that, that thing in me that God has to 
get out of me, you know, because I was about to do some things that wasn't this pugnacious in the spirit of myself that wouldn't have been right. So I had to pray. I had to pray real hard. And when I prayed, I called one of my mentors, told him what was happening. It was crazy. Church wrote a check for our entire insurance for two years. Another church. God said, you followed me, but I'm really not working on your finances. I'm working on you. When we moved to Philadelphia, I'm going to be done. We moved to Philadelphia to Plant Epiphany Fellowship in 2005, May 2005. We moved May 15, 2005. May 15, 2005. I only had six months worth of money in the bank. So I didn't know beyond January of 06, I didn't know how we were going to live. But I knew that we couldn't stay where we were. And I was like, and God was like, I'm going to just close every door. I'm going to just keep doing this to you until you just continue to follow me. So I just continue going. So I'm like, I, my wife ain't know. I was sweating. This is probably the first time she's hearing this. Sorry. And, um, and, and I'm just like, I'm just like sweating. Like, God, how you, like, God, you done sent me here to plant this church, man. We got six months of loot in the bank, man, uh, for support. And I just started praying. Then one dude, it's, this is crazy. One of my mentors in another state called a dude outside of Philadelphia and said, you need to meet with Eric Mason. They prayed. I don't even remember. They, they prayed for 48 hours and fasted. And we and my wife went to the office. And, you know, I was shook. I ain't, you know, because, you know. And so we sit down and we start talking. And the dude just looked over the desk. And he said, he said Pastor, we believe in your calling. And, you know, me and my elders, we met last night. And um, we decided, uh, we prayed. All of us prayed. And we said, what's the number? We all came up with the same number. We're going to give you $100,000. So I was like, oh, I like 100 G's, 100 G's. Woo! Then I go to a conference. I, I, and I don't like the name drop, but I went to this certain conference, big conference. I don't even know why I'm speaking there. I go there. I meet all of these dudes, these big time dudes. I ain't even planted a church yet. And I'm sitting in there. God just told me to shut my mouth. I got you here for a reason. And I remember dudes just talking to me. So I sit down, start meeting with dudes for lunch. Then I get a call. I'm coming up Broad Street when I got back. Coming up Broad Street. This dude called me that I was at the conference with. And you know who he is. He says, E. I said, what's up, man? He said, man, I'm about to go on my elders meeting. I need that PowerPoint. I was like, what, what you talking about? I need the Epiphany Fellowship PowerPoint. I'm about to go on my elders meeting. He said, I'm going to call you in three hours after I finish. I was like, okay. So I give him, uh, you know, I, boom. All of a sudden, now we giving to the Lord, being, trying to be faithful, and, and I, all of that. Boom. Get called three hours later. He says, I need you to pull over. So I pulled over. I said, all right, what's happening? Because, you know, I was used to hearing no so much, you know. And the, dude, and the dude says, yeah, my elders and I decided that we're going to give Epiphany Fellowship $25,000 for the next five years. <laughs> then he says, but this was September. After we launched, because I didn't know how things were going to work out by the time it was April. So he says, so he says to me, he says, oh, we had, had $30,000 just laying around. So we're just going to give you, how, do you want to lump some for this year? Because this doesn't count for the five years that we're going to give you. We just had another, so this is really a sixth year. So we're going to send you $30,000. Do you want that $5,000 a month or do you want a lump sum of $30,000? I could keep going. I, I got stories for days. When we was about to get this building. I, I gave up. I, 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 I was just like, God, you just don't want to have it. I'm in a Lagos boot camp, sitting down. Four, five of my mentors called me, and, and they said, E, 
How's that building cap game going? And, you know, I went in. You know, I was like, it's going all right. We trusted the Lord, but I'm frustrated. They said, well, we would like to know if you would like us to write you a check for $150,000. I said, what the? I said, I said, I said, hold on. And, and, and I, I'm just telling you right now, story after story. And, 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 God, and, and God showed me. He said, as long as y'all plant churches, as long as y'all give the farm missions, as he said, if you, if you keep Epiphany's hands open, I will never close the windows of heaven. And so how does that apply to you? Now, how does that apply to you? God provides. Some of y'all need to hear that today. I'm out the way. I'm over. But I'm just trying to let you know that I, I, there is never going to be a place in your life where God, even if you get financially comfortable, God never meant for you to live comfortably because to trust him means to live on edge. And so to be a worshiper means that God in every season of your life is going to be deeply teaching you about something that you need him desperately for. If you don't have a season of your life where you don't need God desperately, you're not walking with Jesus Christ. I'm done. Father God, Father God, Father God, I, um, I bless you. I thank you um, for, 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 for your mercy and for your grace and Lord God, I, and you, you've been so good, God, to my family and my wife and I and, and to this church. So how dare we close our hands and not be givers? It's boring to live a saga-less life. It's boring to live a life where we don't get to enjoy you and live on edge of, of your... Every, everything that's ever happened in this ministry has been by faith. Nothing has come easy. Everything's come easy but not easy. <laughs> because you're the provider. And so, God, we thank you, we honor you, and we bless you for that. And, God, I just pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would continue our mission. Like we're giving to Epiphany Camden. We're supporting them for four or five years, and, um, and they're thriving. Um, I pray for that vote, for that building that's going on today, that you would move the people out of the way that's in the way, and you would release that building that belongs to you to them today. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for uh, Blueprint Church, a church that we supported a few years ago for $25,000. And I pray for them that you would give Pastor Dahadi and the, the, the family down there strength and grace and peace uh, as they're doing a bunch of initiatives for your glory. Lord God, even them becoming a church planting church after we help them become a church planting church as well as Epiphany Camden. Lord, I pray for a, a, a vision rally that we've supported. Pass, a, a, a touch Pastor Jerome Gay. Uh, and the resources down there as they're looking to expand, uh, to do more work for your glory and your goodness um, and your praise, God. I love you for that. And Lord, 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 Lord we, just, we just pray for these residents that are here. We got some people here that are raising resources and they're struggling to trust you and struggling through knowing their call but not seeing you come through expeditiously where you touch them and resource them for people not even in ministry but just in life. Lord God, I touch, pray for those who have lost jobs and who, who are struggling with trusting you, where things are financially tight. And pr I pray for those who've made financial mistakes and wondering, do you, do, will you provide for them because they made so many financial mistakes? Will you override their mistakes and strengthen them in their character and show your love by providing by grace, God? And Lord God, I pray that we would open our hands and we would be a giving ministry 
that we would be a giving group of people that bountifully give so that lives can be changed, disciples can be made, and the gospel can be proclaimed. We love you, and we thank you, Lord God. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.